welcome to Wood Talk for woodworkers by woodworkers. Now here are three guys who put the fine in fine woodworking. Mark, Matt, and Shannon. All right, welcome to Wood Talk number 311 for May 30th, 2016. On today's show, we're going in depth about what's going on in our shops and we'll also offer some general woodworking wisdom, if we have any. I'm not sure that we do. Or specific woodworking wisdom. Yes. Or irrelevant woodworking wisdom. Irrelevant might be the best, uh, yeah, the most uh, apt term for it. Uh, Before we get to all that, let's take a moment to talk about our sponsor, Brusso Hardware. Brusso Hardware provides high-quality American-made woodworking hardware for furniture, cabinets, boxes, and more. Wood Talk listeners can use coupon code WOODTALK for 10% off your first order at brusso.com. And also, Miter Set, a new sponsor of the show, an innovative new product that helps you achieve perfect miters every time. Go to miterset.com for more information. We'll talk about them a little bit later in the show. Uh, we'd also like to thank a couple individuals, actually just one today, Jason Rausch, a big supporter of the show and really nice guy. Thank you, Jason. We appreciate it. And if you want to help out too, get your, uh, your name mentioned at the beginning of the show here, go to woodtalkshow.com, look over in the side column for the donation links, and uh, you too could be famous and have Mark mess up your name because uh, that's what I do. That's uh, You know what's weird is, uh, you know, because I, I usually am just like messing around on Facebook while you talk mm-hmm, during the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just hit the news feed thing on the on the Facebook app, and who comes up but Jason, Jason. Roush? Yeah, cool. There you go. Good That's deal. That's just creepy. Add a boy. It's stalking me, Jason. I know, seriously, Weird, man, dude, messing with the Facebook algorithm. Uh, and you know, since it is show three eleven, I got to play this. Okay, just for copyright infringement purposes. Uh, if, you, <laughs> if you don't, if you don't get it, then uh, never mind. I never did that. <laughs> Yeah, good stuff. All right, so let's get into what's on the bench. Now, today, uh, we are mat-free, or are we matless? You know, it's kind of like when when Nicole and I, before we had kids, we always went back and forth with the terms either childless or the one we prefer preferred at the time was child-free, because they both have different like connotations, <laughs> depending That's on how you true. look at it. So are we matless today, or are we mat-free? Hmm. That's a good question. I think we're reduced calorie mat. Reduced, yeah, we're mat-light today maybe yeah. We're, uh, yeah we're matt with with uh without trans fats right yeah so matt is not here i think he's he's in canada a um take off your hoser something like that is he visiting family do you know i think so something about his aunt is what he was texting earlier today but okay. i'm pretty sure i saw a picture of him with uh matthias wendell mm. too yes also yes if you go to canada you just got to go to like you know, it's a big place, but of course, if you're in Canada, you got to see the people you know who are Canadian. So, <laughs> right, know, doesn't matter hey, if you they're live all in Canada. Do you know so and so? They're all the way in some other province, right? Is that what they call those <laughs> provinces? Uh, they're all the way over on the other side, and uh, it's all it's all one thing. You know, it's like yeah, you know, not that big. Uh, all right, so what's on the bench? Hmm. Let me see. Actually, quite a few things. Now, we're going to spend a little bit of time on this because it is a holiday uh, today. It's just me and Shannon. So we're going to spend a little bit more time talking about what's on our bench, what we've been working on, thinking about things like that and get into uh, some depth on this stuff. And hopefully you'll enjoy it. So for me, first thing I'm working on right now is trying to push out these Barrister Bookcase videos. And uh, it's a unique experience for me because I normally don't have all the footage up front like this. So I typically will release every week by necessity, just one video per week because I'm, I'm still building. And then I take Thursday to edit, Friday to publish, and then I get back in the shop Friday afternoon. So by necessity, it's like, you know, the one video a week thing. Um, and we had we had somebody write into a recent survey we did with the guild who was kind of annoyed with us and was like, uh, you know, it's not 1990. We don't need a video every week. Just put out the videos. And it's like, you clearly misunderstand the dynamics here. <laughs> if I could, I would. But this is because this is how I need to do it. Now, this time I've got all the videos, so they, they still require the editing and also some supplemental footage needs to be shot for me to to kind of really make it the final product. But I certainly can, I'm thinking, get these things out a little bit sooner than one per week. So I'm curious, you know, to, to hear your thought as a fellow content producer, if you have all of the content and let's say by some miracle, you'll be able to get it edited very quickly. Would you rather release everything Netflix style all at once or do you personally see some value in extending the time between video releases? Hmm. You know, that's, that's a good question because I'm toying with that myself. I did that with the um, the four-poster bed in the hand tool school. Mm-hmm. I, I filmed, like I built it and did all the filming. The editing was a nightmare Yeah, because um, there was terabytes of data. Right. Um, 
and and especially when it comes off my camera raw because there's no naming convention it's like you know <laughs> 103.mts yeah like, it means ah, nothing it doesn't help so all the meta logging and everything and just like labeling clips and setting in and out points was took for bloom and ever yeah. and then when i did find out that ooh i really need to go and film this segue or whatever something um it really messed with the continuity of things um, cause I actually remodeled my shop while I was building it. So okay. it's like, not only was I wearing a different t-shirt, but like, I looked like I was in a different building altogether. Right. Right. Um, so now, uh, as I like, for instance, as I'm doing the blanket chest, I've kind of gone the other direction cause the, the pushing it out, like, like you're talking about like once a week to, to me, especially because I've got this other full-time job. I just ended up feeling so rushed and kind of so frenetic all the time yeah. that I, I don't know. I felt like I was missing stuff, you know, important okay. updates that needed to be in there. So I've kind of gone a middle ground and I release chapters at a time. So and I've got like call them episodes, if you will, under a chapter. Oh, okay. So, for instance, um, like the the actual case of the blanket chest, you know, it's milling the parts and gluing up panels and then cutting a whole bunch of dovetails. That was a chapter, and there was like an episode on gluing up the panel, and an episode on cutting the tails, and an episode on cutting the pins, so that it was really easily referenceable. You know, it's like, yeah. I don't need to see the whole dovetail process. I'm really curious in, you know, the actual assembly part, and you can just click on that particular episode. So now that I've kind of gone to that model, I like the idea of releasing the entire chapter. Um, so I just released a chapter, okay. and it ended up being seven videos under that chapter yeah, that's a big chunk then yeah it is i mean it, the long and short of this is i did this to like make it make it easier to follow and kind of jump in and dip in like if you're building along it's really easy to go okay i'm at this stage go click that link in the table of contents and it takes you specifically to you know dovetailing the drawer divider in right there yeah, you know yeah. instead of watching a bunch of other stuff but the line the upshare the upshot of it means the total like footage time is probably four times more than it was oh, in okay. the project just because you've got, you know, even though I don't really do, I definitely don't do intros and outro type things, but there is just that like composition side of things where you don't just like jump in mid sentence, you know, yeah, yeah. there's like a, you know, last time on agents of shield, you know, you've got that little like <laughs> right. pre-roll thing that goes on Yep, yep. and it, it, it does add to things, but because I'm doing that, I'm pushing out whole chapters at once. That's a good compromise. I mean, I've yeah. got two sides of my brain. Uh, there's the content producer side and then the consumer side. And mm -hmm. as the consumer, I totally would rather just have it all and then watch it when I watch it. But yeah. there, there's also the content producer side and, and the reason why this sort of weekly format is a thing, why it exists, why The Walking Dead splits a season into effectively two seasons and spreads it out through the year. There, there's something about the anticipation, the buildup, also knowing every Friday, once a week, you're going to get the next segment and it extends it out. If you look at like, you know, what we offer, or what, what I offer in the guild, for instance, if we're doing three projects a year, uh, having this sort of weekly doling out of content is a way that makes it look like things are happening. Whereas if you dump every episode out in one shot, then you may not see any, you know, quote unquote activity in a sense for a month or two other than right. maybe like a live session. So it kind of reminds people that, that there's activity, there's things going on. Cause you get that weekly email that says, Hey, check out the next episode. So I see both sides of it and granted, if I can even, you know, I, I'm not even physically able to just dump all the videos out Netflix style. Uh, but it is something I'm thinking about. Maybe it's worth it to go that route, but maybe it's not, you know, so I'm still, I'm curious to hear what people think as consumers. I'm guessing most people would rather just have it all at once. Um, but there are TV shows that I know Nicole and I have lost a little interest in because we know that that, that like sort of like buffet menu is there for us and there's mm -hmm. no sense of urgency to watch it or timeliness right. to watch it because like the buzz has died down. Uh, like House of Cards is a good example. Um, I'm still waiting to go watch the rest of, of the latest season and I don't feel any pressure to because it's not going anywhere. It's there for me. The convenience is there. But there is something about the psychology of that weekly release that normally if that were a weekly release show, we might have caught it as the episodes came out. Yeah. yeah. No, there's 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 both sides of that coin. And I've I've found myself like, you know, putting stuff in my Netflix queue and like never getting to it. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> it's like it's always there. I, I mean, I think that um when the time comes that I can do like 
this stuff full time, it's probably going to be more of the push it out weekly just because of, as you say, keeping that that buzz alive, keeping yeah. that reason to to go back and dip into that content well once a week. But I think there's but, one one big difference between that that I have to keep in mind between what we do and and like what we're talking about on Netflix. Um, these are pure drama, comedy, entertainment things, whereas what we're doing is teaching something. So right. it, and something that someone is going to as a teaching resource. It, I, I, I think, again, it might fall in favor of getting it all at once so that the person can kind of interact with the course in the way that they want to. Yeah. And, and I have, I have plenty of data that shows that as well, you know, where I'll be releasing as I go along and it's like, yeah, some people dip in and, and do this. But then like once it's out, you know, you see this spike in, in people watching the videos and, mm-hmm. and you can see them actually progressing through watching hundred percent of the video and then moving on to the next one. And you kind of get that sense of, you know, okay, th- this person can sit down and watch a video for 20 minutes and then they come back to it the next day. But yeah. You know, they're, they're definitely not into the watch eight minutes of video and come back a week later and watch another eight minute. That's interesting. See, I don't, I'm terrible with stats. Like we have everything plugged in. I've got stats. I just don't look at them. And it would be very interesting to do a side by side of two projects and see, uh, you know, Netflix style, dump it all out there. What kind of retention, what kind of watch time, how many comments does each post get versus the weekly thing? You know, I would think the weekly thing might get a little more interaction from your regulars who really want to watch it. But, um, but what about the people who love that binge watching concept and just want to go right through it, you know? So, well, you hit a key point earlier by saying what we do is teach. Yeah. And that's one of the other reasons that I went to this kind of chapter and episode format. It's actually inspired by lynda.com, mm-hmm. uh, that right. uh, great online learning site that I use to learn how to use like Adobe Premiere, Adobe Photoshop, uh, learn JavaScript and HTML, all that stuff by using lynda.com. That learning style is almost exactly the same where they have these chapters and then these shorter, like, you know, sometimes they're 12 minutes long, but usually they're like three, four minute long type uh, sub chapters that really when you're learning and, and I'm sitting here thinking, okay, now crap, how does that function in JavaScript work again? And I go <laughs> over to the lesson and there it is. Yeah. And I watch that three minute segment. I'm like, great, that's what I needed. And I go back to work. Yep. If I'm building a project, I think it's the same way. And, and I think that's one of the reasons that I kind of took to that learning style because it very much fits the whole task oriented nature of woodworking. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's my, my hope is that the stuff that, you know, this is pure hand tool school stuff we're talking about. The Renaissance Woodworker tends to be a little bit more entertainment informational yeah, and, of and sporadic. Let's just call it what it is. It comes out when it comes out. <laughs> right. <laughs> but for the people that I actually want to build the project that I'm building, I think as a resource to build along, it'll be better in the long run. Well, here's the other thing, and we'll get off this because uh, we're dragging on a little bit long on this. But the other thing is that um, – when we're doing these videos, we're talking about when they're first released because anyone who goes in and buys a guild project today is not getting, you know, an archived project is not getting a weekly release. It's a dump of content. The reason we have this challenge is imagine if Linda said, Hey, we're doing a new course, follow along as we produce it. Uh And that's what's happening. We're producing in real time. People are subscribed and they're getting these videos as they come out. But for the, you know, rest of the people who go to get these projects later, they do get them all at once because we're, you know, because it's there. Why not? So it's, it it is an interesting dilemma because we're not producing this stuff way ahead of time. Like a lynda.com would, you know, they're, they've got the resources to have these things in the pipeline. We don't, it's kind of a sort of just in time and and pushed out as soon as it's ready kind of thing. So uh, that's also why I actually changed my price. Yeah. My in-production price is cheaper than this whole thing is finished. It's not dramatic, but it's one of those things that's like, hey, you know, thanks for kind of coming along with me. And actually the people that, we'll call them the early adopters, yeah. <laughs> that jump on the production side of things, they actually help shape some of it just by sure. feedback. The, the interaction, you right? Know? So you have you have that kind of like advantage to say, hey, could you cover this? Like like last week I was talking about that prototype, that little model I made mm-hmm. of the candle till. Yeah, I did not intend on making that. And because of my early adopter production member, whatever, whatever we're going to call those people, because of them stepping up and saying, hey, could you talk about that? I'm like, oh, yeah, I didn't even thought about it. So, you know, now when the project is all done and people come back, they're going to 
pay a slightly higher price, but that's because they're getting the whole shebang. I like that though, man. That's a, that's a really yeah. good concept. It's a, well, well, think about how many times you've edited the SketchUp model. Yeah. <laughs> right. And adults. it's always because someone you says, know? Oh, by the way, did you see this? And it's like, Oh crap. <laughs> now I got to do another <laughs> right, version. Right. You know, when, when it's all done and you know, all the bugs are worked out, I think it is a slightly more valuable yeah. um, product. Dude, speaking of early adopter, totally unrelated to anything. I posted this on Facebook, uh, this weekend. We, I bought a TV for the shop. Okay, so it is sort of related to woodworking. <laughs> I saw that. It's the same TV I bought for my shop. Oh, really? Nice. Okay. Except I got mine for 119 <laughs> So you know how we always brag about like, oh, I've never lost any electronics in the shop. I don't protect it from dust other than like, you know, blowing out the, the dust once in a while. Well, the one thing that I have lost, and I have to think it's because of dust, is a Vizio TV that I use as a monitor as well as a television in the shop. Uh, 32-inch TV, got it at Sam's Club real cheap, but the HDMI ports on it are just kind of going. Like, they, they lose connection all the time, uh, and they're all going. So it's got to be because of dust, right? And right. Uh, so finally, it pooped out on me, went to Sam's Club, and for like 179 bucks. I bought, uh, they had a 1080p version. I don't need that for the shop. So I got a 720p TV for the shop, $179. And I just had this flashback. That's always my like touchstone reference point for cost of electronics. When Nicole and I first got married, we bought our house, had like, excuse the expression, didn't have a pot to piss in, but <laughs> managed to have a credit card with a limit that would, uh, purchased me a $5,000 flat screen, uh, plasma TV. I mean, I was, I've always been like on the cusp and wanting this stuff early, very early adopter. And it's very expensive to do that. And I just didn't have any business at all doing a purchase like that. So by the time it was all said and done with like the interest paying off the credit card, we probably paid six grand for this 32 inch TV. Wasn't even 720p at the time. It was what they called extended definition, like 540 or something like that. Um, five grand for that thing. And I just paid 179 bucks for essentially, I mean, obviously this is how tech works, right? But that's an amazing difference. So being an early adopter can be fun, but it's extremely expensive and it hurts like five or 10 years later when you go to yeah. buy those same things. Uh, but yeah, 179 bucks for a beautiful 32 inch Samsung TV for the shop. And it's a smart TV too. So if I want to you know, get Netflix or connect it to the internet, I can do that. Um, yeah. Not a bad option for the shop, honestly. Yeah, I actually had some sort of like coupon special. I bought mine at Target. Oh, exact okay. same Vizio TV for $119. Oh, I man. was like, you've got to be kidding me. That's great. Uh, it's it's, def- it's never been cheaper to get entertainment. And the funny thing is, is you're in a shop. So like you really shouldn't have a whole lot going on on a TV. But right. hey, football is great. Uh, I do watch woodworking videos and stuff in there. And I do all my um, computer stuff as well, like answering emails and stuff. Sometimes I'll do that in the shop. Um, all right. So moving on, uh, speaking of the barrister's bookcase, I wanted to talk a little bit about lighting solutions inside of furniture. Um, so one thing I'm contemplating here is going with some simple led light strips, remote control. You could change the color, the light intensity. Um, and I'm thinking of putting them in there and I've, I've gotten some feedback on this that people feel like something as traditional, I guess you could say as a barrister's bookcase doesn't have any business having lighting, especially LED lighting inside of it, that it would be too harsh. And that maybe if I'm going to do it, go with some other type of softer lighting solution. Um, but I don't really usually put lights in my furniture. So I'm curious, is, is that something you've done any of in the past? Do you have any thoughts on lighting interior furniture areas? Um, not really furniture, but, um, I, I lighted, um, put a rope light strip behind crown molding. Okay in uh like a tv room if you will okay just nice um, accent lighting yeah so a little bit of lighting so you don't like stub your toe when you get up to get a drink during the movie but enough you know but not like anywhere where it would throw glare on something and i remember at the time thinking this rope lighting thing is kind of a cool idea it'd be something that you could like line on the interior of like uh, a built-in or something mm-hmm. like that or okay. even a cabinet very very uh, light footprint and it could just be attached around the inside of the cabinet. Okay. So do you think that if you're doing like more of a classic form, something like a barrister's bookcase, do you think it detracts or you think it adds to uh, the, the sort of, I don't know, cool factor of a piece of furniture like that? I mean, it's glass fronts so you can see it. Yeah. But what I, what I always say in, in that case, I, I think I probably more fall on the detract side of mm-hmm. a traditional piece, not because I don't think it's cool, but like if the bookcase were always empty, it would look cool. But I think once you right. put like books and fill it up, yeah. you know, that light's not really going to do anything. 
You know, it, the, the space itself is filled up. And the, int- the interesting thing about a barrister bookcase with a glass front is you can see the spines of the books, right? Right. And that's kind of very interesting to look at. So I suppose if you had a light that made sure that it showed the books really well, but at the same time, there's a glass front there. Um, Maybe install the strip toward the front. So, that yeah. it, you know, because the books, the, the depth is variable depending on the book. So most likely, you know, the, the depth of the case is enough to, to push all the books back, maybe a half inch or an inch from the front. So you got a little breathing room and then maybe install the strip at the front so that it's always casting light down in front of the books. That might yeah. be an option. Well, and I think that's probably the key is if you're thinking lighting solution on the furniture, make sure that like before you install anything that you put the furniture kind of in situ, you know, yeah, where it's fill it go. with what you plan to fill it or place it where you plan to place it or yep. something like it. Um, you know, it's the same reason that like we talk about, um, uh, design and remember that more often than not, you're looking down on a piece of furniture. It's very rare that you're going to see the underside of things. And if you, if you do, the design needs to change so that yeah. you, you know, make the underside of things look nicer. It's the same thing with lighting. You know, if you've got lighting in this bookcase and if you're constantly, if it's a shorter bookcase and you're constantly kind of looking down on it, do the lights even show up? Right. You know? right. Um, so I think you've got to think about perspective and function before you start throwing coolness in there's some bling on it <laughs> right you know then yeah. it then it just becomes the the uh the laser line on every tool in the shop right gotta yeah. put a laser on it you know everything's better with lasers well yeah and it's yeah. the thing was it was an inexpensive kit it's like 30 bucks i'll try it you know if it doesn't work out it doesn't work out um you know speaking of lighting now i've got the last thing on my list here is a major project that's coming up for me very soon in fact i have to start doing the design work for this thing this week uh, i'm not sure if i'm if i'm sort of NDA restricted on this. I don't know what I'm allowed to say ahead of time. So I'm going to keep it very generic. Um, I'm working on a deal with a car company who has a very cool truck and I'm going to be filming four projects for them, uh, basically building out of the back of a truck. And it's kind of crazy, kind of a neat idea, but it's a, a cross promotional thing. Uh, and it's going to be a huge challenge. And, and one of the big challenges you'd think the biggest challenge is actually building in the back of a, a pickup truck, right? Uh-huh. But that's not it for me. The biggest challenge is how to film again. I don't want to, you know, maybe we shouldn't talk too much about the inside, you know, production aspects of what we do, but that, you know, it's a big deal for us. Um, trying to film outside in June <laughs> in Arizona uh, and build these projects outdoors. So the whole lighting thing is coming into play here because I'm going to be out there for a full day. So you've got the sun moving over from like your ideal morning time all the way to the ideal evening time, but all that time in between when the sun is like pretty much directly overhead, <clears throat> dealing with that direct sunlight and trying to film in those conditions. And that's going to be a little bit of a challenge. So I uh, shot an email out to my buddy Izzy over at Izzy Video. I was um, just going to say, have you talked to Izzy at yep, Izzy Video? And he's he's local here, so he's very familiar with uh, you know filming in these conditions. Um, he recommended I use diffusers, and I've got some stuff around that I can kind of cannibalize and utilize for this to help essentially it's just like a white sheet in other words uh but there's you can buy really good material for it but i'm going to kind of diy it um basically to filter out and and just kind of allow some light to come through not completely block it because i consider putting a tent out there or something to work under that in the shade um it doesn't create complete shade but it at least you know puts some light through and blocks a good amount of the the harsh intense light so that's that's kind of what I'm I'm thinking is going to be the solution here, but nothing's going to help the temperature. So yeah, it's going to be a nightmare, man. Well, like there, there's also something to be said about just getting out of the sun, especially considering what um, Nicole's been through lately with some of her. Yes, that's obviously well, like, on our minds. <laughs> yeah, the UV thing and getting stuff cut off you is no fun. Well, so, I will yeah. be um I will be very greasy. Uh, lo- lo- loaded up. <laughs> well, with you're S- Italian, so I mean, yeah, come on. You put SPF 50 on an Italian, and you know, I'm <laughs> I'm slick like the inside of a frying pan. So yeah, it it it's going to be kind of messy and sweaty, but ultimately a cool Just idea, like don't a fun. Touch the lenses. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to have to keep my hands off of anything like that. Uh, but it'll be a fun project, and uh, it's just a lot, a lot of work. And wish me luck with it because I, I don't. It's one of those things where like, what did I get myself into? <laughs> what did I agree here? Uh, agree to here? This is crazy. So yeah, that'll be my week designing all week this week. And then we have a 12 day allotment shooting period to actually get these projects built, completely wow. filmed and then locked down from that point on. So that's yeah. exciting. That'll be cool. It is cool. It's a unique opportunity. It's something I've, that's the only reason I really agreed to it. Not that I 
like, like all of this sounded like a great idea to me. Um, it sounds like a, a miserable time, but it also sounds like a fun challenge and something unique that could make some pretty good video content. Um, right. so I thought it would be fun to, to do. So we'll see how it goes. I don't know, man. Well, Oop. speaking of what did I get myself into? Ah. I've got a I've got a project that I'm just starting to to play with, and it's interesting. It's kind of funny how these things aligned uh, for us, but because okay. um, just about everything you talked about, I've got something kind of similar to it. But I'm going to build. I decided in January this year this was going to be the year. 2016 is the year that I built a Titanic steamer chair. Whoa, nice! Um, always loved that form. I saw Norm build it years ago on the new Yankee workshop and thought that's awesome. And they're so comfortable. I'm unfamiliar with it. So can you, I mean, I'm looking at pictures of it. Can you describe exactly yeah. what it is? Um, well, generally they're made out of teak because they were usually on the deck of a, of a steamship. Um, and this Hence particular the name, instance, they, they're called the Titanic chairs because they're supposedly were on the white star line Titanic. They have, um, uh, the 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 back reclines and the arms so they're like a slat back and they're kind of curved to be contoured towards uh, toward the body mm-hmm. um then there's the the seat part and then there's an ex uh kind of fold out footrest type thing so it looks very much like a chaise lounge but you um the whole thing folds up and can be kind of stacked up against a wall that's why they were used on steamships because they oh. could be they could clear the decks move them out of the way nice so they're very um very hardware intensive it's a lot of brass hardware that gets kind of inlaid and recessed in very precise ways because the whole adjustment mechanism for the back to allow it to recline or sit more upright is based upon this kind of ratchet system that's inlaid under the underside of the armrests and you kind of slide it forward and it unhooks and slides back and it allows the whole thing to, to recline well it looks like it's got four points of, of pivoting just in the seat yes. itself, not including the footrest, right? So all four of those have to sync up in order yeah. for this thing to fold flat. Right. So it's, and it's one of the reasons it's very comfortable because there's a lot of like yeah. adjustment that can be done with it. Sure. It's a very cool design. Um, and just what's fun about it is it uses a lot of kind of slat type material. So, um, I of course work for one of the largest importers of teak in the world. So mm-hmm. I happen to have a source and we have a lot of, you know, call them not really off cuts, but um, boards that get gleaned from a pack as people are looking for other stuff. As bolt builders come in looking for wide and long, you always end up with these packs of slat material left over. Sure. Um, so I've got a really good source for some cheap teak in that. So I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to be able to to make this finally. So I ordered the hardware and, you know, as, as expensive as teak is, the hardware on this stuff is like staggering so my first thought was well i might as well make two of them right like that could be like seven hundred dollars in hardware then you got the bill so this hardware looks very use specific so you have to buy steamer chair hardware for this yeah yeah you specifically have to buy that stuff um and you know it it comes with uh templates and things that go with the hardware to you know how you inlay it into the arm so this is very much the whole and it's not there's no plans for the chair although i suppose i could get them through the new yankee workshop but i'm kind of winging that you know i'm going to build it around the hardware but it is interesting because just looking at kind of planning out the project in my head this is very much a kind of power tool focused type project Mm -hmm. you know a lot of like deep inlays and and um pattern routing i could see with all the different slat shapes and everything sure so it is going to be a big challenge um from a hand tool Mm -hmm. perspective a challenge that i'm really excited about i always love kind of it's funny to call it reverse engineering because i guess hand tools kind of came before all this yeah (laughs) but i mean you think about it when this chair really came into vogue we were well into the industrial age so this is one of those designs that's probably been built from the ground up, knowing that you're going to have some sort of rotary tool. Now, it might have been belt driven by steam power somewhere, but it was a rotary tool, not a chisel on a mallet. Sure, so, sure. you know, there, there's going to be a lot of precision in this, which is a little scary <laughs> to get that all right. Um, a lot of, of curves that need to be exactly the same for all the slats because if you've ever slat, never slat, if you ever slat on a, on a, on a chair, <laughs> I slat all the time. Yeah. If you've ever sat down on a chair that has slat backs, if any one of those is slightly off, 
it feels like somebody's poking you in the back. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's really irritating. So with the, uh, know, with the, the lumbar rocker, curve has got to be just right um, on all of them. Yeah, well, I was just going to say with the Maloof rocker, I ran into that where yeah. like just twist them a degree off and rotate it a degree off. And now the, the corner is digging into your back. Like So yeah, it's absolutely yeah. critical. Yeah, that was the thing I always liked about Windsor's is this, the spindles around. Right. It's yeah. like, yay! Yeah, it's a little <laughs> Spin easier. it whatever direction you want. You're good to go. <laughs> but add to that all the moving parts of this and, you know, dealing with all the hardware. It reminds me a little bit of my treadle lathe build where I think we did an episode a long time ago where I was like, I think I might have met my match on this. <laughs> like yeah. getting all the bearings and everything. I mean, I totally over-engineered the whole thing and made the level of complexity of the build so much harder because the more – precision i added through machine bearings and and you know um uh, hardened steel rolled the spindles and things i had to have the same precision required of the wood and there's a lot of that same type of thing going on here sure but to make things even more difficult in reference to your um your 12 hours of shooting in the sun project yeah this chair is actually going to be built at my in-laws house in maine thought you're going to say on the surface of the moon yeah, on the surface. Yeah, you're, you're just trying to one up me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what it's all about. Yeah, so that the main house. Yeah, exactly. Nice. Um, and it will it will eventually live up there on on their back deck. Okay, cool. Um, so and it's kind of become this tradition. You know, I've got that cool little shop in the garage up there. It's like, well, what am I going to build this year? Right. So I've got uh, about six days to build it. Mm. Um, so what do I do here? You know, what can I prepare? What can I what parts can I build so that ideally when I get up there, it's just a matter of maybe assembling, maybe getting things together, finish prepping. And of course finishing, which is uh, a whole other thing. How much finish do I really want to apply on something that's going to be sitting on the ocean all the time? Right. And it's teak, you know, is that really necessary? But so I've, I this doesn't not going to happen until August, but I'm thinking, with the other stuff that I've got going on, I kind of need to get going on this. Otherwise it's going to be a week before we leave and I've got nothing done. And I do not think I could get this thing built, uh, in a week away from my own shop. Yeah. Eh, maybe I could, but I am also there on vacation. I mean, let's be real. Yeah, you don't want to <laughs> be in the shop 12 hours a day. <laughs> yeah. I don't really, it's fun, but I don't really want to do that. And my yeah. wife would probably not be real happy with me if that's what I did. So, you know, that's a whole other aspect of this. And I dealt with that in that uh, dining table that I built. It was kind of what, what do I need to get done here in my shop and what can wait? And more importantly, what has to wait? Yeah. And with the precision required and these, these, um, this hardware, there's a lot of kind of operations where I'm going to need to gang parts together and like drill one hole all at once so that everything perfectly lines up. And, you know, so I've got to have everything pretty much ready to assemble before I start dealing with some of the hardware. And with a project like this, there's just a lot of stuff to think through. Yeah. I'm going to have to do a lot more planning and preparing on this one than I've done for anything before. Now, you may have mentioned it. Are, are you working from a plan or are you designing this yourself? No, I'm pretty much des- – I mean I'm I'm – not really designing it myself. I'm copying it from, you know, pictures and stuff, but no, I'm doing up the, the drawings and the measurements and the curves and everything, just pulling its dimensions and everything straight from drawings. So now recently you did this whole prototype miniature thing. Are you prototyping this out? Because it seems like just with all these moving parts, you got to make sure that everything's going to move the way you think it's going to move. Yeah. And that kind of was in the back of my head when we were talking about that last week. I think I probably will. Um, Okay. If for no other reason, then how cool would it be to have like a quarter size Titanic chair? Just well for a, for a kid, right? Yeah. It's a you kid's know, chair. Put my dog in it. There you go. Yeah. A little <laughs> dog chair. Just, oh. just, just for fun of that. But I think that might be a good, good opportunity. Um, you know, and it doesn't necessarily have to be, I'll just use like, you know, pins or nails or something like that for the pivoting hardware. It doesn't, you know, I, I don't think I'll be able to recreate the whole inlaid ratcheting mechanism under the arm. Well, I was actually going to yeah. ask you because some of it looks like you could get away with just a, a dowel pin and a hole, yeah. but the the connection of the front legs to the arms with that ratcheting hardware, and even if you even if you said, "Well, I'm, I'm going to do something other than ratcheting," that seems like something that would be really difficult to reproduce without yeah. actual metal hardware crafted for this purpose. And I, I think um, what I started to get into last week was how like you refine the process of building. 
Um, and I think just going through the process of creating scale models of all the slats and things will help yeah. me refine what's going to be my best way using the hand tools that I have to create consistent curves quickly. You know, I can create consistent curves all day long if I have a pattern and I just work down to that line. But is there, will there be a more efficient way to do that? What is it? One, two, three, four, five, like five slats on the back, I think. Yeah. Plus the uprights, you know, we'll just say a bunch. <laughs> just to, to recreate that efficiently a bunch of times. It may, there may not be one. It may just be a matter of getting my template right and uh, working to that line. But even then, you develop kind of muscle memory and things like that. Um, and you get really good at repetitive actions to the point where you've made little shortcuts along the way and figured out the best way, best cut to make with a spoke shape here, best mm-hmm. cut there. Um, so I, I do think that there is some merit to prototyping this out a little bit. Yeah. Um, especially because, you know, the last thing I want to do is end up up there and go, damn it, I should have brought that spoke shape. Is is <laughs> there a desire to work out there? Like, is there a real specific reason why you can't simply build it, take it apart, flat pack it and assemble it there and do some fine tuning there? Do you actually want to do the woodworking there? Kind of. Okay. Um, it just, I don't know, call it tradition, but it is kind of fun to do that. Sure, um, sure. And, you know, I also may discover as I get into this, I mean, we are so early stages. Literally, I have a bag of hardware <laughs> right. and some rough sawn teak. Yeah. That's about Ready it right to go. Um, I may I may get several weeks into this and go, this is not a good idea. <laughs> yeah. Like, maybe. But it does, It well, it, it'll fold up pretty small once it's all put together. So it's not a transport thing. Yeah. Um, I think mainly I'm just thinking, you know, oh, what am I going to build in Maine this year? Oh, well, that'll that, be fun. That's the thing. It's if it's part of up there, if it's part of your experience and you want to do it, then that's yeah. that's the the logic behind it. That makes sense. Yeah. Well, and, cool. You know, there is something fun about taking on the challenge of of um, starting something somewhere and finishing it somewhere else. That's always been kind of interesting to me. Sure. Well, and just doing woodworking out of your own shop is always kind of a, yeah. a fun challenge. Well, it can yeah. be fun sometimes. It's <laughs> it can also be a nightmare. Yeah, it depends so. on what you're doing and where you're doing it. Um, well, cool, man. That sounds really good. I can't wait to see that come together. Cause, uh, that that's tempting, man. That's a really nice, comfortable looking outdoor chair. I mean, most wooden outdoor chairs are not that comfortable and you absolutely need some kind of cushion on them to make them like, Oh, I could sit in this thing for hours. This looks like something that you can get away with, you know, not putting any cushions and it would be quite comfortable. Oh, totally. It definitely doesn't need cushions. Very nice. You know, in its, in its original intended purpose, that would be a very bad idea because, you know, lots of water and stuff on the deck of a, of a ship and probably impedes the ability to to, to fold it nicely flat as well. Yeah. And you don't want to sit on a cushion that's got somebody else's sweat soaked into it. Very true. You also don't want to sit on a, a chair that's on the Titanic. Yeah, that's true. Because that's uh, bad news. Uh, All right, cool. Well, let's move into some of the other stuff we have for today. Just a quick thing here in What's New. Brandon sent us a link to something he thought we would find entertaining. Uh, It's a video of a CNC knitting machine because (laughs) because you need those, right? Those, sure. those knitters are so crafty. They're coming up with other ways to to like venture off into our territory, and now they're they're getting into CNC. Funny thing was, uh, Steve over at Mirror Mortals emailed me this too because he's kind of aware of our uh, knitters versus woodworkers faux like war that we have going on. Right. <laughs> it's like, yeah, check this out. So uh, it made me laugh. Uh, but thank you for sending that link, Brandon, check it out. It actually is uh, kind of a cool machine. Don't know how practical it is. Uh, but I thought I would also take a moment to explain you guys once in a while hear us talking about like knitters and those evil knitters. We actually have uh, nothing against knitters. I don't even know anyone who, who knits maybe one person, <laughs> but it's always been funny to us in the iTunes standings. The reason we have this whole animosity there is because it was always us against knitting podcasts. Uh, <laughs> and that, that's the history of the whole like knitters versus woodworkers thing. Um, the truth is we really don't care, but it's funny. So we talk about it once in a while. Yeah, it's funny to us. I doubt that the whole like rivalry thing ever made it to the knitters. Like, I, oh, they've I, got no they idea. Probably had no idea we even exist. It's a, it's a joke on our end, and we just like laugh at each rivalry. other. Totally one sided. Yeah. So good stuff. All right, let's uh, talk about one of our sponsors today, Miter Set. A really, really cool company. I think you guys should check these people out. Uh, miter Set is a category of precision jigs used to set your table saw miter gauge to precise angles for cutting perfect miter joints and wood segments. 
With miter set, you can set your miter gauge to the exact angle the first time. Uh, you won't have to sand the joint and you won't waste time and material. Miter set standard is one of their products. It sets your miter gauge to cut perfect angles from 0.5 degrees to 52.5 degrees in 0.5 degree increments. And miter set segments, their other product, sets your miter gauge to make up uh, to up to 20 perfect wood segments. Uh, so think in terms of making like a 360 degree thing for maybe a segmented turning or some other creative project, up to 20 segments. Uh, miter set products are easy to use. Slide your miter gauge into the miter set slot, set the face of the gauge against the tapered uh, pins, and then lock down your angle. It's that simple. Uh, miter set products are ruggedly made in the USA from anodized laser-etched aluminum and shipped with a 25-year product lifetime warranty for accuracy. Visit miterset.com and click on demo to see the results for yourself. Now, I've got these in hand. I haven't used them in the shop, but I have inspected them and had a little bit of time with them. And you got to check out this demo video. Um, it's really impressive. And, and miters are one of those things. I can't tell you how many times I get emails about people asking about cutting accurate miters. Like even with good quality power tools that we have today, getting these things set up perfectly so that when you actually put the pieces together, everything fits perfect. And it really just comes down to setup. So this is a very nice way to set even the cheapest miter gauge up, right? You, you don't need a big old Incra, you know, expensive $300 setup. This is something you could do with your stock gauge. And as long as it's set up and locked in place and you know that angle is correct, you could rely on it. Um, now, a couple things that I noticed that were really cool. Of course, setting your angle to whatever you want it to be in half degree increments is pretty awesome. But the segment system, I thought, was really compelling. Because a lot of times when you're doing like odd number segments in a 360 degree formation, you, you, you have a challenge getting a very small and weird number in the degrees, right? So if it's like out to the, the hundredths or thousandths decimal place, that's very hard to set accurately. Right. I'm lost. Right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you don't even have to think about it here. You say, I want seven segments. I want eight segments, 10 segments, whatever it is. And you just basically set your stop, cut the piece. Of course, use this the miter set to get the angle correct. And it nails it every time. And he does a demonstration with a seven seven piece segmented 360 degree dealy whacker. Uh, and it works out perfectly. So you definitely want to go there, check it out. I think if you're if you're perplexed or vexed by miters, this is something you're definitely going to want to look into. Uh, very good product. So I like I like the fact that it's really just a setup jig. Yeah, you know, I mean, you could use your your out of the out of the box miter gauge. I mean, obviously, slop in the in the what call it the table slot is always an issue with some of those cheaper ones. Yep, getting getting it to hold the setting, um, but. Yeah, I mean, this is basically the Incra setup. Um, yeah, it brings that to it brings that little... uh, totally. It brings that adjustability that you you pay for a lot of money for uh, for the Incra, but brings that to any miter gauge that you could possibly have in the shop. And think about bandsaw usage. Uh, use a miter gauge at the uh, you know if you're using it at the router table or something. It doesn't matter. It's gonna and also probably more than miter gauges. Like what my brain is thinking about is what else could you use this for. To, mm -hmm. to, to jig up things at specific angles and make setups uh, and, and set up other setup jigs for particular angles that would be super accurate with something like this. Uh, and it's it just ingeniously, deceptively simple as well. Uh, there's not a whole lot of parts and pieces. This is something that you can kind of tuck away in a drawer, uh, pull out when needed, and it's just going to work every time. So Yeah, the segment thing, I'm, I'm all over that because like segmented turning has always been fascinating to me. I yeah. love the finished result, but I've always been like, eh, it looks a lot like work. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is this takes the work out of it. You know, it's, it's also cool. got me thinking about. Um, I have to think about possible applications for this, but some of those crazy, crazy cutting boards that just have like yeah. odd angles and odd miters that create these optical illusions. I I bet you this would be handy for something like that as well, uh, because that's again just like making the the circular patterns. You need these things to fit in perfectly. So I'd be curious if there's applications with that. Um, yeah, we'll have to see. So anyway, check them out. Uh, MiterSet.com looks like a great company with a really great product. So you want to look into that. Uh, let's get into our feature topic. Uh, today, we've got an email from Jeremy, and I thought this was just a good general thing for us to discuss. He says, hey, guys, I've got a one-year-old, a shop that's an hour from my house, and despite this, I've started a woodworking business in addition to my full-time job. That's um, that's aggressive. <laughs> no kidding. I mean, any one of those things is enough to keep you busy like 40, 50 hours a week, let alone three of those things. Uh, but hey, good on you for uh, for having that motivation. That's awesome. He says, I'm quickly approaching my 31st birthday. Oh, that's why he's only 31. 
<laughs> that explains everything. And have this question for y'all as you have, uh, he says in quotes, a few more winters on you than I do. How dare you, sir? Uh, knowing what, <laughs> knowing what you know now, is there a project, technique, material, etc., that you wish you would have taken on earlier in your woodworking career? Anything you wish you would have avoided or a tool that you didn't purchase? Uh, what was the best worst obstacle you faced? Any wisdom you could share would be appreciated. I just got to episode 195, um, stressing from the beginning about seven weeks ago. Stressing? Is that what he meant to say? It's pretty stressful to listen it from is. the beginning, it, it so does I can understand that. Hurts the eardrums. Love the show. Thanks for your time and thought. So let's break this down into three questions and see if we can offer any woodworking wisdom with our extensive number of winters that we have behind us. Because <laughs> winter is coming. Winter is coming. Uh, Sorry, somebody had to say it. There's got to be a Game of Thrones reference in every episode we do. We'll throw the Red Wedding one in later. Ooh. Uh, is it too soon for that? Are we, we pass that? Yeah, maybe. I, I guess think. if people are spoiling uh, Hodor, then I think it's fine. Uh, all right. So project technique or material. And for me, I'm going to say hand tools. And what I mean by this is I, I do wish I would have gotten into hand tools earlier, but I, I can't change the history of how I got into woodworking. But if I could, I would have loved to have a traditional hand tool sort of uh, foundation under my belt before I got into power tools. And the whole the whole hybrid woodworking thing for me has been my journey bringing hand tools into my power tool world. So I've, I hang my hat on that. Like that's a big thing for me. But I do think it's better to have a hand tool foundation before the power tools. The reality is most of us don't have that option. We come into it exactly like I did with power tools and then go, hey, what are these hand tool things? Those look neat. But I think so much of what you learn in hand tool woodworking, as you can attest to, Shannon, is foundation like important foundation things and rudiments for what you do with power tools. And then even then, as you can see with the whole hybrid woodworking concept, we still rely on those tools to make up for some of the errors for the folks who don't have a miter set. You're going to need, uh, you know, some kind of a shooting board, right? And that's a classic hand tool task, uh, to get those miters perfect. If you didn't get your tool set up perfectly, you know, so I, I kind of wish I had that as a background to rely upon. I think, because I'm I'm with you on that. I mean, I started in the power tool route. Most of us did because that's what never even. What are these hand tool things? You know, yeah. when you think back in the 80s and even 90s, there just no one was was using it. There was this weird guy on PBS that you know they never carried in my local market. So <laughs> yeah. you know, I had no Roy Underhill exposure until much later. But there is a mindset that comes from power tools that can be really difficult to shake. Oh yeah. Um, and when you move into hand tools, like every instinct in your body is screaming that this is wrong. Yep. You know? It's too <laughs> slow. It's too slow. Yeah. And, and what do you mean? I can't set the fence or I, I've got to dial this in. There's no dialing. Well, I suppose there is dialing in on a, on a hand plane sneaking up on something, but you know, it's a very different touchy feely kind of hippy dippy kind of yeah. style yeah. of woodworking that I think I'm just now getting to. Right. And I have been sans power tools for six years now yeah. entirely think yeah well the hand tool school started six years ago nice i had some power tools back then but i hadn't been using them for a couple of years but still um just now i'm getting to the point where i've like um purged my brain of my evil power tool influences <laughs> and i'm when i start a project i'm thinking purely from a hand tool perspective well it's kind of um, like learning a second language as an adult versus having learned that in your childhood Right. And, and I can attest to that with some hand tool school students that started woodworking with the hand tool school. Mm -hmm. Like they built the projects in semester one, two, et cetera, with nothing. Like they came to, came to me and said, I have no tools I want to learn. And they're really good. Yeah. Like they're, they're it's amazing the stuff they're turning out. And I was like, you make me sick yeah. like because they just took to those, those theories. And I, of course I agree with you. I think the fundamental skills makes everybody stronger. Sure. It's the, the entire philosophy of my business. So, of course, I right. agree. Of course, right. Hey, you want to take a little uh, a break here for a second? Mateo, come here. You want to say hi? Here, into the microphone. Say hello. Say hello. It's it's Shannon. We're, we're recording Wood Talk. Just say hi. Hi. What do you have Hi, there? Mateo. What do you have? Bubbles. You have bubbles? Yeah? Are you going to eat lunch? Mm-hmm. Yeah? Okay. Well, Daddy will be out in a hey, minute, okay? Emerson's coming. Hey. Emerson's coming. Yay! All right. Thanks, buddy. I'll bye. see you in a little bit. Okay, bye. <laughs> okay, bye. Yeah, it's a holiday, so everybody's That's home. That's awesome. That yeah. was awesome. Figured he'd say hi. Last time I think he was on Wood Talk, he probably uh, probably couldn't talk, oddly you're, enough. You're keeping that in, right? Yes. 
Yes. Okay, good. Definitely. Yeah. It's a very informal show today. I like that. I like yeah. that. Don't edit that out. No, definitely not. Um, all right. Well, then, uh, so we're kind of in agreement on that, but you're definitely further along <clears throat> on the scale of getting back to that and, and kind of changing your perspective back to that hand tool perspective. You know what? So I think my prediction is in 20 years, you'll discover power tools. <laughs> right. And then you'll be like, Oh my God, where, where have you been all my life? <laughs> well, I've told you I'm tempted to buy a domino. It's just a cool tool. man. Well, and that's the thing. These advancements come in and it's, it, it does make you go, what, what am I doing? Like I should be doing it this way. Um, all right. So how about the second question? Anything you wish you could have avoided or maybe a tool that you uh, wish you didn't purchase? Ooh, man, I got a lot of those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I got a lot of tools I wish that I didn't purchase. Um, you know, as far as things that I avoided um, or wish that I could have avoided, um, this is going to sound weird, but casework in general. Mm. You wish <laughs> you, you know, avoided and it. And it's, it's kind of the foundation of, you know, the box is like the foundation of so many things that we build. But I wish that I had avoided that until later in my woodworking career because okay. I immediately jumped into the whole kind of make a cabinet because it was that part woodworking part DIY thing that really got me into this. And it was mm-hmm. like the honeydew list was got me building cabinets and built-ins and things like that. And I think I was forced to get really, really accurate and precise really, really early. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't really necessary. I think I would have been better off like building a table um, instead of jumping right into an actual box sure. with like a panel door and all that stuff on it. Because then I got sucked into, and this was especially in the Antel world, I got sucked into that, well, I have to have this tool in order to do that. So if I'm going to make a frame and panel door, well, I've got to have a cope and stick router bit set, right? <laughs> well, in order to dial that in properly, I need to have a lift on my router table or certainly a router table. So the the different moving parts and the the necessity to be like dead on accurate and square for a case like that forced me into so many other things which brings me to the tool part a bunch of tools that i just wish that i had saved the money on because uh, i you know certainly i'm not using them today but even if i were still um into the like the hybrid side of things i don't think i'd be using these yeah. things today for me it's the the power tool upgrade path well, it doesn't even have to be power tool. You can do this with hand tools as well. I wish I didn't have to buy three jointers, three table saws and three band saws. Right. And it's like, you get into it. You, when you first get into it, you get what you can, you get something used, something small, uh, something that doesn't break the, the budget because you don't really know for sure how long you're going to be doing this thing. Um, then at some point you realize, well, this isn't really adequate for what I want to do. So I need to get something bigger, still may, you know, stay in the, the used world to save money, but you get something larger, a little more powerful. And then there's like the final one. Eventually, a couple years later, you go, you know what? Even this one isn't cutting it for me, or this is a luxury upgrade. I want to, I want something that's going to be the last table saw I'm ever going to need. So let me go with this one. And then you have your final third. And sometimes you might even go beyond that and, and upgrade, or maybe your interests change and you want to get like a European style sliding table saw or whatever. There's other reasons to upgrade. But usually I think most of us probably be curious to hear what other, what other people do if they're like me i would imagine most of us have that like three tool upgrade path and if you, you do all the math on that and consider what i sold them for versus what i paid and you grand total it out i've probably paid way more money than i i than if i had just bought that final tool first <clears throat> but the reality of the situation is who can do that who knows yeah. what to buy first like we, we say that like oh buy your last tool first that assumes a lot that assumes you know the right tool to buy that assumes, you know, your interests, you know, in five years, um, it's almost impossible to, and and probably not really that wise to buy the last tool first because you you just don't know enough at that point. Yeah. But that said, that said, I wish I didn't have to spend all that extra money (laughs) to to (laughs) get, to get all three of those and to go on this path. But I think it's kind of just the nature of the beast. Yeah. Unfortunately, you know, and then you've got to you sell the tool and you sell it for a loss and yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's frustrating. Totally. Um, how about obstacles? Um, best or worst obstacle that you faced? Uh, for me, I think the best obstacle I faced is probably, I don't know. I think it's project specific. I would say like, you know, the Maloof, uh, rocker and any big project, the blacker house chair of uh, these are things that I never ever 
you know, when I first got into woodworking, never thought I would even be in a position to be able to build that with or without guidance. Like it just was things I couldn't even wrap my brain around. And now they're actually a reality for me to make. Um, so I think those were big challenges, but I would call them my best obstacles that I've been able to overcome. Um, I would say one of the, the obstacles that I have trouble overcoming and I'm currently dealing with today is a lack of time. Um, hmm. you know, when I started all of this stuff, I would work as much as it would take, you know, and Nicole and I would both work like crazy. She had a full-time job, but still helped me with the wood whisperer stuff. And I could build as much as I wanted to, uh, enter two kids, whole different story. And now, you know, I'm, I'm family is extremely important to me. So I only have, if I'm lucky, a 40 hour work week. And that's if I'm lucky, you know, mm-hmm. so, so it's a very different thing to, to try to get all the same stuff done in that compressed amount of time. Uh, so that right now, that's my biggest obstacle. Not even a, not even a woodworking specific obstacle, uh, a life obstacle. Well, I think you're going to find that's going to be the same with most woodworkers because, the obstacle in when you're talking about woodworking, the obstacles to me are the best things, you know, because that's what challenges us. That's what forces us to try something new, to yeah. step back and rethink a process. That's how you That's grow. the cool stuff, yep. right? Um, so any, if you're, if you're forced to say what's the worst obstacle, I think probably 99.9% of us are going to say time. Um, time or so, tools, you know, not, not having the tools you want. Yeah. Um, but I think if I were, in order to not say the same thing you said, <laughs> okay, because <laughs> that was the first thing I was going to say. Oh, sorry, thank you for going first. <laughs> um, I, I think the the worst obstacle I I face in the shop is kind of like a an ADD <laughs> type yeah. issue. There are so many things that I want to build, so many things that I'm interested in. I mean, in case you guys don't know, that was the genesis of the Renaissance woodworker. Mm-hmm. Not like I build Renaissance furniture, but Renaissance man, like. And I want to build a chair and I want to do some turning. I want to do some carving and I want to do some inlay, you know, the, the becoming, uh, fluent or maybe not fluent, but at least experienced in all these different walks of life, um, woodworking walks of life. That's what just, uh, it's exciting to me. And I love experimenting with these new ideas, but that's a major obstacle because, you know, I'm, it's like the slightest little thing will turn my head and I fall down that rabbit hole and then I'm like, you know, Oh, great. Well, I learned this cool technique. Now apply it on an actual project. Like, no, nah, I'm going to go over and try this now. So you're saying that, that is, the, the title of your show could have just as easily been the ADHD woodworker. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In fact, the tagline of the site used to be woodworking ADD. Right. Um, but it, 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 everybody just said, what's woodworking ad? It just never worked. Yeah. Yeah. It was very difficult to put that up in a, in a non audio medium. Either they don't get it or they'll be offended by it. <laughs> right. There it's is a lose, lose. So it's like, my son is ADD. How dare you? I'm, yeah. like, I'm so sorry. Don't make fun of that. I'm so sorry. About oh, that. Man. That's crazy. Cool. Yeah. I think, um, from the best obstacle for me was um, compound joinery. It was something uh, that, yeah. that, going back to the earlier question, that I had avoided a little bit. And um, from I never really did that much of it in my power tool world um, because at that kind of point in my development as a woodworker, I was still very – uh, 90 degree angles, you know, mm-hmm. and if I threw a curve and it was like the curve and an apron and, and not really into joined parts. Um, so I tackled the compound joinery side of things from a hand tool perspective only. And that probably more than maybe not more than Windsor chairs, but more than anything other than Windsor chairs is what shaped my philosophy in hand tool woodworking. Now yeah. the whole see the line, saw the line thing and just how incredibly liberating it can be you know, who cares what the angle is, you know, set it up so that it looks cool and just saw to that line, you know, well, most that, people can, most people can draw it, you know, and yeah. if you can make the, if you can connect the gap between drawing and cutting and you make that, you know, you know that you could reliably cut to that line. Well then if you can draw it, you can cut to it. Yeah. And you know, something like uh, a Queen Anne or Chippendale formal side chair is always a very intimidating project because you've got this trapezoidal seat that also splays and rakes in different angles and it's like man how do you even do that and the first time i cut a splayed and ranked raked tenon um on an abnormally shaped rail i was just like well that was easy (laughs) yeah it's like it was just a matter of getting the you know it wasn't really laying it out it's like capture an angle in a bevel gauge 
and draw to that and then use spoke shapes and things like that to shape the actual face of that rail so that that is at that compound angle. It was like super easy, nice. you know? Um, yeah. So it, the, the, the really complex type advanced quote advanced techniques that you run across, um, just give them a try. And I think you'll find that it's really not as difficult as you think it is. Yeah. And even if you stumble on the way, you're going to learn, you know, you'll get better as you go. Well, cool. If you want to support the show, you can just head over to woodtalkshow.com and look for those donation links in the side column, recurring or one-time donation, whichever you want to do. Uh, also, get yourself a Wood Talk t-shirt at twwstore.com. And if you want, you can leave us a rating in iTunes. Just look us up in the store, click on ratings and reviews. And uh, let's see, Jason Hotz, Hotzi, he says that the three musketeers of woodworking, without a doubt, the absolute best audio content on woodworking ever created. Jesus himself tunes in to pick up tips to up his carpentry game. Let's <laughs> try to see if we can offend people as much as possible. Wow. Uh, seriously, Chuck Norris had to turn the volume down because the awesomeness was too much for him. <laughs> Very nice, Jason. Thank you wow. so much, man. That's great. Love that review. All right. If you want to give him the contact info, we can get out of here. That Sorry, that just reminds me of something I saw on Facebook the other day. It was like, you know, if Jesus comes to you and asks you how to make like a jack-legged um, roof truss, walk away because that's not Jesus and a real carpenter would know that. Uh, okay. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> it's one of those random Facebook sightings. Uh, totally paraphrasing that, but yeah. Well, yeah. Facebook is great for that random crap. <laughs> so speaking of random crap, if you have comments, questions, or topics and suggestions, you can leave your random crap with us many Yay. different ways. You can leave us a voicemail on Skype. Uh, our username is Wood Talk Online. Our voicemail line is 623-242-5180 or go to woodtalkshow.com slash contact and you'll find a contact form there that probably says something like useless crap up the top. Yes. <laughs> Leave useless crap here. Submit crap here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, and then, of course, all of our shows uh, land on, on Facebook. You can leave comments there or you can visit woodtalkshow.com and leave your comments on the episode itself. So that's it for the show. Yeah. Very Sorry, nice. Sorry, I can't be here, but, you know, we managed to waste an hour of your time regardless. Sorry, eh? He's in Canada, <laughs> so you got to say it Sorry. that way. Sorry. All right, well, thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll catch you next time. Bye.